Hello lovely people, sponsoring us today are Rugby for Heroes, a not-for-profit organisation founded by a group of keen rugby players. Rugby for Heroes uh, organise fundraising events, various fundraising events to raise money for a range of armed forces charities. That includes 353 Health for Heroes, the Royal British Legion and the Soldiers Charity. So far they've raised over £100,000 for those benefit charities. The founders of Rugby Heroes, in fact, are based out of Old Lemontonians Rugby Football Club. Obviously massive supporters of the forces and their families. They've actually got an event coming up this year, which is a, the 10th and 11th of May, and it's going to be at the Old Lemontonians Rugby Football Club. It's a beer and gin festival, obviously. That's the kind of fundraising events we like, involve drinking and music. 10th, 11th of May, book down in your diary. I think it's a Friday and a Saturday, that is. And I will see you there. I will be there. There'll be a bunch of, bunch of former guests from the podcast all going to be there because they're also involved. You can follow Rugby for Heroes on their Twitter and Facebook and Instagram feeds, which is at Rugby Number Four Heroes, or you can go to their website, which is Rugby for Heroes, Rugby F O R Heroes dot org. Check them out, give them a like, give them a share, and I will see you on the 10th and or 11th of May of this year in Leamington. I will buy you a beer. Well, if it's loads you turn up, I'll buy someone a beer. You might be that lucky one. See you there. Also sponsoring us today are Team Rubicon. Team Rubicon are a disaster response charity formed predominantly of ex-military volunteers who were in dispersing hostile character testing environments. So now what these volunteers do is they deploy either overseas and in the UK where needed to help out people in their time of need due to natural disasters most of the time. So they are helping people out in all sorts of places. And right now they are in Indonesia, who has been smashed in various places by tsunamis and monsoons. They're really, really not having a good time of it. And Team Rubicon are one of the few NGOs that have been invited to get out there and start helping those people rebuild to get back on top of their lives Team Rubicon can only stay out there helping those people as long as their funding allows. Uh, you can donate to Team Rubicon by going to teamrubiconuk.org forward slash donate and every penny helps. As well as that, you can also volunteer with Team Rubicon by going to the same website, teamrubiconuk.org. On there, you will find out everything that entails being a volunteer, being one of their prestige grey shirts uh, and it's really simple to apply. I did it before Christmas. Uh, you do a couple of online courses, you go through some background checks, and then you do one deploy onto an induction down in, oh, down in Wiltshire, I think it happens. I don't know, because I haven't done it yet, but I'm looking forward to it and being part of that amazing team, amazing people, whose roots lie, as I said, in the military. Uh, also sponsoring us today are Westway Nissan. Westway Nissan are the UK's largest Nissan dealership. They've got exclusive an exclusive deal with Nissan, whereby there's only there's certain makes and models they can only get at Westway Nissan. They also provide up to a twenty percent discount for members of the armed services and former members of the armed services. So if you're looking to get a vehicle, a private or commercial use, uh, new or used, you can go to Westway Nissan and get up to twenty percent off. As well as that, Westway are obviously big supporters of the military and they like to try and employ members of the military where they can. So if you are looking for work, if you need a bit of advice, uh, get on to Westway Nissan, westwaynissan.co.uk and Westway Nissan on social media for money off purchasing vehicles or potentially getting a job in Simi Street. Fantastic people. Thank you very much. On to the podcast today. My guest, 
when I mentioned Team Rubicon. My guest is a great shot with Team Rubicon. He is, I didn't realise that, towards the end of the podcast though, and he's going to come back on, we're going to talk about it. His deployment has deployed a few times with him. Uh, he is also an ex-tanky, Royal Tank Regiment, an officer with him, uh, deploying to various places, including Afghanistan, and he now runs a successful, I would describe it as a military advising business, uh, called Bear Arms. Cracking conversation, very knowledgeable individual, really interesting to hear his experience of uh, getting out and, and breaking into the film industry and how he did it and the kind of people he's got working around it now. It's uh, very enlightening and amusing. So, without further ado, H-Hour with Benjamin Simmons, but he likes to be called... Oh, I don't think he does like to be called... Maybe he does like to be called. Either way, he's called Bags. So, bags. Yes. Why are you called bags? I'm glad you asked because um, <laughs> I I get asked this a lot and I need a record of it so I can just say to people, here you go, here's the story, go hear that. Because <laughs> I thought for a while about having a laminated sheet, just like a fact sheet well, to hand out to people. Hang on, if yeah. you're going to direct people, if you're going to direct people to the podcast, yeah. listen to that fact. We yeah. should say it at the end, so they have to listen to ah, the whole podcast yeah. first. Good. No, no, no. Don't say the end because they'll then skip to the end. We'll say that at a random point, oh, somewhere just tell in the me podcast. Now. Oh, you call back? Okay. So, um, <laughs> uh, when I was born, um, my I, I'm child number two. My mum got to name child number one, which uh, she was a, she is a girl. Uh, I was the firstborn son. My <clears throat> mum wanted me to be called William after her father, who was in the air corps. Um, he sadly died in a plane crash in the seventies. Uh, so he was known as Bill. So she wanted me to be called William. My dad wanted me to be named after his brother, who uh, who did, uh, died in a car crash the year before I was born, and he was called Nick. So they had a long debate for quite a number of months about whether I was going to be called Ben or uh, uh, sorry William or Nick. Um, my dad won the argument, so I was going to be called Nick, and then I was born almost exactly a year to the day after he died. Oh. So my dad thought that was a bit weird, but didn't know what to call me. My mum assumed that because I wasn't going to be called Nick, I was going to be called William. I was born by the this point and a couple of weeks old. Um, my dad went away on business uh, for a few weeks. Um, and I don't know the exact timeline, but it apparently it's illegal for a child not to have a name. I think it's five or six weeks. Anyway, oh. it was about two months after I was born. Uh, and my dad came back and there was a, a, a note on the doormat saying, you need to name your, your child now, otherwise the state, I don't know, gets to name me. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know why. They confiscate you. I don't know what happens. Um, so my dad went and got pissed with a friend of his and um, signed the birth certificate uh, and didn't remember. And it was, What was your name on it? so what so what happened was what was was um my my mum then got a phone call a few weeks later and it was the wife of the of the the friend that my dad had been out getting drunk with obviously less drunk than my dad because he remembered the whole thing happening and this lady went oh congratulations on young benjamin and my mum went who (laughs) (laughs) so is that not your son's name and she went no, my son's called William, at which point my dad, hearing this conversation, sort of twigged and went, 
oh, no, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this now. And he pulled out the birth certificate and he'd signed it, Benjamin. And to this date, he doesn't really know where that came from. <laughs> um, and so um, my mum was obviously quite pissed off. But she'd been calling me William for that for that whole time. Uh, and so he was known as Bill. And for some reason, Bill went to Bilbo, went to Bilbo Baggins, uh, and then went to Bags. And so <laughs> it was something that my dad was reading the books at the time, really liked Lord of the Rings. And uh, so, yeah, ended up being called Bags or Bilbo Baggins. Um, and that didn't really matter until Peter Jackson decided to make the <clears throat> bloody films. And then for a few years, my life was quite... <laughs> quite tough but it but it stuck so so build the baggins to, to bags but in but in the army um in the army it's, it's very difficult to sort of introduce yourself by a nickname uh, especially when when you're uh when you're a young second lieutenant yeah so i just went back to ben briefly but the problem being is that i didn't really recognize ben as being my name so when somebody would say ben there'd be a slight pause and i'd go ah they're talking to me so, but I identify when people say bags, that's my name. That's, that's the name I identify with, yeah. but my real name's Ben. But yeah, depending on how well you know me, nobody I, ever I can think of worse things. So yeah. you were an officer when you were serving? Yeah. yeah Flipping yeah. heck. I keep getting officers snug in, snuck that. in on me. At, I least, did not, at least I'm not a Marine. <laughs> Paul did it to me as well. Paul got on his yeah, yeah. on and it turns out he's an officer. But he used to be, he used I, to be a soldier though. I don't want any of you morons on. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Well, you'd be, be lucky I got here, you know. <laughs> a map sort of wandering around trying to find the no, place. No, I'm joking, yeah. mate. I'm there joking. You. No, it's fine. Yeah. Bags. No, you know, I yeah. can think of worse nicknames. I had well, it, several. So not only was I Ginger, my first name yeah. is Hugh, obviously. Yeah. So you get I was Janus. I was Hugh Jass. Janus. Yeah, Hugh Jass. Yeah, I was uh, uh, Ginger. I was never Ginger. I would have liked Ginger. Yeah, Ginger. The least, okay. the least, uh, Ginger. least offensive. Uh, <laughs> um, I did. I did briefly uh, for about a week at school because Bilbo Baggins, in a sixteen-year-old's mind, goes to Dildo Baggins. So I got dildo for a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That was quite fun. Yeah, that's, uh, but that was fun, yeah. It just dawned on me, mate, when you mm. started talking. You're a spitting image of my cousin. Really? Spitting image of my cousin, yeah, Dominic. Attractive chap? Uh, no, no. <laughs> How's no, it been yes, since yeah, the house fire? I'm joking, because I'm going to direct into this. I, you are handsome, Dominic. Don't oh, right. I'm joking. Um, <laughs> How's he been since the house fire? Yeah. Right, so I'll answer your question. You're yeah. off air. Who are HR4K? HR4K, they're a company based out of Hereford. It's, mm. it's Hereford Kit Company. Oh, that's what it stands for. I've been following them on, following on the the Instagrams and the face tubes. Yeah, mate, mate, mine owns them. Um, And uh, they, 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 they're a reseller in the UK. Mm. I'm not butchering this, Ben. They're a reseller in the UK Mm. for um, uh, veteran-owned apparel companies and and, like veteran-owned coffees and stuff like that. Alley kit. It's like I think they do Sunita's Guild stuff. They do Zero Foxtrot. Yeah, yeah. that's the Zero stuff. But they've got um. They've got a. They've got been. a really cool pad down. Yes, I've seen I, pictures of it. I've not bikes. been yet. It looks. So I'm cool. going. I'm going. I've not been I'm yet. It really looks really envious because that's kind of what we want for. Well, for our guys. in yeah. the. I'm glad you brought this up right? yeah. because um, I spoke to Ben last week and he asked me to. Um, he asked me to mention. They've got. I was going to do it in the intro outro, yeah. but no, we've brought it up. They've got a. They've got a, um, a veterans uh, networking event going on right in in June. Yes, June. I think it's the ninth. 
<laughs> it's the weekend of the 9th of June, I think, and that's Saturday, whatever it is, right? Whatever date the Saturday yeah, is. Yeah, Saturday, is. somewhere yeah, in the Saturday. Yeah, it's like 1pm. Yeah. Uh, Whereabouts? Down at the... Hereford, at their place. So inside and outside. But outside, yeah. they've got like a 100 by 100 metre squared yard. Yeah. And you can... It's free, right? So yeah. if you've got your retro own brand, get in, you get in touch with Ben, info at hr4k dot co.uk probably <laughs> right <laughs> get in touch with him it's free you can go down there you, get, yeah. you can have your own three by three Stand, space yeah. gazebo up just Mega. go down yeah, yeah yeah starts at one but it goes on like 10 11 o'clock just turns into a piss up uh so i team rubicon are going down brilliant yeah uh revenant cider talking on yes. yeah they're going Good. down i'm going down i think he's open i'm going to be like the mc in the middle Oh, brilliant. Yeah, he set me up with someone. You've got some decks you're going to be... No, but... Like, no, just gobbing off. Just gobbing off, okay. Yeah, so I I'll, I think I'll just... If that is the case, I've said to him, he needs to tell me earlier, I'll just... Uh, I'll be in the middle of the mic and and uh, I'll just I'll just go through each and every company and just give them a good slagging by way of yeah. prom- promoting them. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> no such thing as bad Speak press. Speak to him, get, get, get yeah. down there, get down yeah, there. Yeah, I might do, yeah. It's so not, on the subject of that, then, yeah. uh, Bear Arms. Yeah. Tell me about no let's go let's, let's go back to the start yeah officer sadly yes yeah. go on so um uh started sandhurst uh 2007 so pretty i was 23 um joined the royal tank regiment uh because i <clears throat> like machinery i did an engineering degree uh i as a kid I grew up working at a cart track, went in age 15 and said, um, can I work here? And they said, sure. A cart track? Cart track, as in go-karts. Oh, yeah. Um, went in and said, uh, you know, I'd like to work here. And they went, sure, here's a flag, wave that. I was like, no, 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 I want to fix carts. And the guy literally grabbed me and like, thank fuck, chucked me into, <laughs> chucked me into the workshop. It's like, we've got nobody, crack on. So between the ages of about 15 and 18, I just tinker with go-karts it was great fun i love go-karts that's so much fun it's brilliant absolutely brilliant um and uh yeah that was where that was where my love of machinery came from did an engineering degree hoping it would be the same and it was deathly dull it was just applied maths and it wasn't what i was hoping for got out the back of that was like and and at the time um seven seven had just happened uh there were all sorts of things that that and I'd always thought about joining the army and that just sort of was the final straw. I was like, that's it. That's it. I'm off. And, um, but I didn't really know what part of the army I wanted to join. I briefly looked at the cavalry and realized that I didn't fit in with that particular mold. Because you dress normally. (laughs) Um, I don't own any red trousers. You haven't got buck uh, teeth. No, well, no, uh, but I, that, that's the age-old joke. But no, the, the I've got lots of friends who are in it, and it, you know, it's it's not that bad. Uh, Don't defend them, <laughs> you wankers, cavalry. I'm joking. No, no. <laughs> uh, so, so I was, I got, and I'll, I'll always remember this because it sort of, it sort of, you know, I mean, everybody's got these defining moments in their life where everything happens could have gone either way, and I remember being <clears throat> called up by the careers guy and going, um. Uh, you've only you've only been to see the gunners. Uh, is there anybody else you want to have a look at before you before you start going to Sandhurst? I was like, well, you know, quite like machinery, but uh, and I explained, you know, I didn't think I'd fit in into the cavalry. And he said, have Have you tried the RTR? I was like, who the hell are they? Uh, so I went down to Bovington and had a look at them, and um, yeah, and suddenly thought, no, this is this is what I like. 
good snappy dress sense they wear black (laughs) (laughs) and um and there's there's a there's a good bit of rivalry between the the cavalry and the rtr we get called the chav cav the council house cav the cash bar cav they call you that yeah yeah, yeah. it's uh, (laughs) the chav cav yeah the chavalry (laughs) yeah so um but it was it was such a the guys that i met there were such a broad spectrum you had everybody there from um people who were members of the mcc you know the marlebone cricket club in london so quite quite well to do down to down to sort of proper cockneys that you you couldn't tell if it was an officer or not yeah, and yeah. i quite like the fact that that you didn't realize i wasn't an officer that's a good start but um uh yeah just found that that was where i fitted in and just um and the soldiers were brilliant the mentality of being in tanks as well is is totally different from any other any other regiment that i've seen because the relationship between the soldiers and the the officers is a lot closer because when you're in a confined space breathing in the same air the same farts uh and you know chatting shit and being in the same vehicle for months on end you inevitably get closer to to the troops and you're working in a team whereas so we so um you get a platoon commander who commands a platoon we get called troop leaders which at first i thought was a bit weird because it sounded like scouts as a troop leader you know dib dib and all of that jazz and then i realized actually it's a subtly different word because a platoon commander will command command his platoon he has his sections and he will he will leave it up to the section commanders to command them as a troop leader you are in one of the vehicles you are one of the one of the members of a crew so first and foremost you are a crew member and then you're also having to <clears throat> to guide and talk to the other crew commanders so you've normally got a sergeant and a corporal and it's a very different way of working it's more it's more working again in a team there's three tanks you're working in a team Ex- it's yeah explain to me uh so explain to me the, and that's a troop right Mm. Right, so explain yeah. to me what your unit consisted of in terms of manpower yeah. and vehicle power. So um, it's changed slightly, but when I started, we were working off of three vehicle troops. So three tanks. In each tank was four... Challenger twos. Yeah, yeah. four tankies. Um, each one had a driver, commander, a gunner, and a loader. Yeah. So the driver and the gunner are normally the most junior of the two people in the crew um and normally depends on whether you've got driving the license or not <laughs> the yeah. and the operators are the second in command of the tank um and everybody trains on everybody else's roles intermittently so that if somebody gets knocked out or there's a problem you can you can have a three-man crew so there's there's redundancy within there it's a lot harder having three but you can if somebody gets knocked out so everybody everybody understands everybody else's job which is which is a start um so then the other two tanks one tank commanded by the the officer and the other two tanks commanded by the troop corporal and troop sergeant um and then um they've now moved to four tank troops so you'll have two troop corporals and one troop sergeant why are they moved um I can't remember. It happened a couple of years ago, sort of a restructuring of how we work. I think it's similar to the Afghan model where um, instead of having three sections in a platoon, you switch to multiples because it was a lot easier to split down into two smaller groups. Whereas having 
so so in Afghan, my experience of working with the paras actually is that working in multiples was easier because you know, 10 to 15 man multiple versus an eight man se- section. It's like you can split down sergeant runs one, um, the the officer runs the, the other. Uh, yeah, very depending on where yeah, you are and what you're doing. Of course. Uh, who are you with? The para? Uh, B Company. Um, B Company? B Company 3 para. Oh, uh, oh on, really? On Herrick, Herrick 13. So when you were, you were up at uh, Kamar. A Company, yeah. Yeah, you were up with A yeah. Company. Uh, I was down with B Company in Shazad. Ah, I did not know. So you would, so you had, so we split down as well. So I had a, I had a troop and a half. We had, we had three troops, and then a couple of weeks before we left, it was really weird because we'd never worked with the paras, and a couple of weeks before we left, we got told, oh, by the way, you're going to be with the paras. We're like, oh shit, <laughs> it's going to be six months of just being called a hat the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it wasn't like that, was it? When no, it, it wasn't. It exactly. wasn't, and it was. It was. I was really pleasantly surprised. It was actually brilliant. But because uh, because um, on, on the hat thing, it was only it was there's a there was a, the B Company Sergeant Major was a guy called Simo. 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 Yeah, Do you know, know Simo? So Simo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Simo was lovely, absolutely lovely guy, and um, he he would be he would be ranting and raving about the hats. Fucking hats doing this, hats doing that, hats. Not you, boss, you're fine. These fucking hats. And it was always, <laughs> it was always, it was always the, it was the, it was the, the, um, the attached arms that were para, so para gunners, so 7RHA. Yeah. Note I didn't say 7 para RHA. Don't you just, you just throw a couple of coffee at yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can bleep that out, it's fine. We can do that. Um, you know, pa, pa, uh, Parasigs, anything like that. Those are the people that that the paras hated for being hats because they they thought it's like you're not a para. Stop pretending to be a para. And it's like people having shorter and shorter sleeves, longer and longer sideburns, and so trying to be paras. And then there was just the RTR in full dress code the entire time, <laughs> not pretending to be paras. It's like no, no, you're fine. You're you're okay. You yeah. know. You're not amazing because you're still RTR, but you're not trying to be Paris, so that's fine. It's a weird one, um, and that 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 mm. um, that 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 the 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 in the appearance, not the no, the perception of an outside unit when they. This is my experience. Mm. So I'm not saying it's right or wrong. And my experience is very limited. And you know, I'm one person. How many people to serve with the Reg, and how many people to serve with you know the British Army? The Reg, you mean the uh, the RTR? <laughs> Fuck up. What 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 reg are you talking about? Power reg. <laughs> I heard of them. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Sure. Is that uh, you know, wankers hate everyone. It'd be a nightmare going to, going to work with them. That's what I thought. That was that and was that was the, my fear, and it wasn't like that. Too, and it was brilliant. It's uh, I mean that uh, that outgoing attitude of they you know they appear to hate everyone, and we we, <laughs> we quite like, like that. We like yeah. to drive that. Yeah. It's all that is is like rivalry and, and yeah, competition and, rivalry, and yeah. we believe you yeah. know we're the best and yeah. everyone believes they're the best right yeah uh but what i always like is when i when i when i sent you there but it wasn't yeah. like yeah it wasn't no, bad when you got there was like it that. but i know it's not because yeah. uh, most no a significant proportion of infantry guys mm. who are non-power edge you get attached to us some way shape or form yeah. over time they end up wanting to transfer to us yeah and it's uh and it's it's and that's that's true. That's, you know, it's a fact. Um, and it's and you know that's not because we were wankers to them. It's like in my eyes, and this is this is why I've come to, to believe over time and uh, understand it is that 
Well, no, this is what happens. You get attached to us, whether you're 9 Squadron, whether you're RTR, whether you're whatever. You're yeah. on a tour, right? And and you become part of the team then. You're part of 2 Power B Company Battle Group. Right? Three, power. Two power battle, sorry, three Power three Battle power. Group, right? You're part of B Company, uh, uh, B company on the ground. Yeah. yeah. Now, you're there. You're attached to B Company because... Funny enough, we need you as an asset. No, that was exactly it. They they were like, oh, God, vehicles. You guys just do that. <laughs> yeah, but we need you as an asset. Same as you get, <laughs> yeah. you know, loggies, you know, yeah. chefs in camp, it's, whatever. It, that's it. As long as you're staying within your lane, as long as you're doing your speciality, as if long you as you're would, trying not to do, that's being a power is the power speciality. Let them do that. Uh, it's, when, it's when other people are trying to. Oh, uh, right. No, that's, well, I, that's, I mean, when, that's when they get sort of like, no, no, no. That's us. You do your thing. Yeah, yeah. Do your job. Do it well, yeah. and 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 we'll embrace and we'll embrace exactly, it. Yeah. And that's how it is. No, that's exactly. And it goes out the that's window, exactly. you know. And I, I did love that over time. Yeah. Um. Uh. So yeah, that perception is is correct when you're outside it. But when you, if you were lucky enough, and I mean that, lucky enough to get brought into the bubble. Yeah. Oh, it's and, lovely. And your asset, it's, I, it's fucking. Good. I, you got mates forever. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Mates exactly. forever. Yeah, we know, you know. We'll, we'll say and you get called a hat forever. <laughs> but I mean it in jest. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well, though, the, I think I think somebody tried to call me it call me a hat once and only once and i sat them down they got a half an hour history debrief on where the beret came from and oh you mean a non, first. so it was a non non power edge i can't remember who it. it was but they only tried once and the, the warning went out like don't call the rtr guys hats they will bore the shit out of you with history if you do oh right because right, right, the rtr were the first people to have the beret the first british army unit to have the beret but hang on yeah so go on go on, go on. have we got half an hour no, no so so um um up until World War, no, in World War One, everybody wore um, peaked peaked caps, um, or um, I can't remember what the other headdress, or a side hat. The oh what side hat, um, like a tent hat, like the oh yeah 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 like yeah. Thunderbirds yeah yeah. So um, um, when when tanks were invented, it was a real sort of let's just let's just do what works let's find out what works and and they were having trouble being in these vehicles moving around trying to look through small slits and look through scopes um with these hats on uh and so they were looking for an alternate headdress to wear something that was different something that would work in a tank why they were wearing headdress in a tank i don't really know but they were looking for something else and they were billeted with the chasson alpina who were the french mountain special forces and they've got berets that come out to here they're like i say out to here for those people listening on radio it's a long way Mm -hmm. like about a foot and a half out to the side they're humongous um and um the tankies went "Mm, that looks all right if we make it a bit smaller so they sort of made a cross between the tamashanta which is the scottish one and the Chasson-Alpina Beret, and they created the Beret, which is um, was officially adopted in the 20s, and then the rest of the army adopted it in the 30s. And then, So do you not have peak caps for no. ceremonial, then? No. Oh. no. I thought ah. Power Edge were the only unit no, that did this well berets all the time. No, it's, it's, pa- it's uh, Power Edge, Commandos. Um, no, no. Commandos have peak caps, mate. Oh, do they? Yeah, white, yeah. yeah uh, no, 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 Commandos is, is in the army, Commandos. So it's, you're going to explain to me what they are in a minute. I've got no idea what they are. I know so, what you're on about. So our, I've seen it with a yeah, badge in the arm. Like 2-9 Commando. So the... Oh, is that what, so the, if you have an army commando on you, that, that... Yeah. 
the part of two nine. Yeah, so two so two nine commander are the um the Marines version of seven RHA. So light yeah, gun, yeah, light no, yeah, gun yeah, detachment. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but they were army commander, I think. Yeah, they were army commander. I didn't, I didn't, okay. I th- uh, they certainly used to. I don't know if they still do. Yeah. Um, I don't know. If Sorry for strange. army no, commandos. I wasn't sure I'd seen it. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, so so they do um, the Air Corps do as well. They were uh, they're light blue tack lids uh, the whole time. Um, Are you sure about that? Yeah, yeah. Nah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, the Air Corps don't have uh, peak caps. Right. Okay. So yeah, I think I think there's about four of them. Somebody will correct me, and there's there's probably a fifth. I've got a funny feeling. I mean, the term hats now has yeah. been it's it's adopted by. It is just, it's getting more generalized <laughs> and just people in non-Pyra just use it yeah. as a slagging. Yeah. It's just one of those things, like yeah, yeah. Ev- the world's yeah. evolving to be used. Yeah. For, I don't mind that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't mind that. Like, I've got a choice in the matter. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, but- yeah, so that's, so that's why that's why you don't call a person in the RTR a hack, because then you'll get, you'll get some, uh, some history on your ass. you get a World War One history workout as to why we're not called hats. Um, I did. Well, yeah, I don't mind history though. I mean, <laughs> tanks is, is fa- it does fascinate me. I tell you what, I, uh, I one of my favourite films. I've only seen it once. I didn't watch it again. Don't say Fury. No. Okay, thank God for that. Why? Fury's not really good. I know who's involved with that. Oh, do I? No, I know it's <laughs> um, it's because no, it's because it's I I could I could I could talk for hours about how f- Fury. Uh, Freddie Cryer was in that. You can't. He's a mate of mine. He was in it. I'm sure it's not his fault. There are some really it's entertaining. Good I like it. Really I like it. I like it. But take away the yeah, like yeah. A- the historical accuracies. It's an entertaining film. It is an entertaining film. It's just there are a couple of movie cliches. The, the one bit that gets me is Brad Pitt stood on top of a tank, shooting an entire battalion of of, of SS guys who are literally you know twenty thirty yards away, surrounding yeah, him. It's like it's one of you, one of you, I'm sure, can take out your pistol yeah. or whatever you've you got. Look and past shoot that. You can throw a rock at him from that distance. You can look knock past him out. that. You can look past that. It's oh, like in Shooter. No. You know the shoot yeah, in yeah, Shooter yeah. with yeah. Um, Mark Wahlberg, Marky Mark, Marky Mark, Marky and there's Mark, a yeah. bit where he's he's. So I was when I was in as a sniper, right? So it's a bit where he's in, course, you can look yeah. past it. So yeah. when it's a bit where he's 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 in a boat. Yes. <laughs> Oh yes. Not only he's in a boat, he's in a standing position, yep. unsupported, with the rifle, and, and he's he, got a coke bottle. And he pulls off of some it, yeah. mental yeah, shot. The, he like, like shoots impossible. through. There's the guy with his arm. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the guy that's in Fury, the guy that plays the driver in Fury. Yeah. Yeah, and he yeah. shoots the guy behind him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, or any any film where you've got a sniper in a helicopter. Oh yeah. And taking people out and not missing ever. Yeah. And to shoot from the- a helicopter is nigh on impossible. <laughs> it seems, well, you can shoot from the helicopter, but hitting anything is, with accuracy is, I've done it. It's like, it's hideous. It's hideous. I, um, well, I don't have, I don't, I don't have a grudge to bear though, but I'm going to get over it. Fury yeah. is entertaining. Uh, there's a, there's a really good tank film, um, called The Beast, which is, it's, 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 uh, it's an American film. I think it's mid to late nineties. It's about a Russian tank crew in the, the Afghan war. Oh. And um, it's got one of the Baldwins in it, as in as in Alex Baldwin, the Alec Baldwin. You got Alex, one of his Stephen, flipping Billy, loads of them in there. Jeff, yeah. Yeah. Joe, Greg. Well, one of it? them. Yeah. One of them is in it, um, and it's about this tank crew. And it's it starts with the Russians sacking an Afghan town and running people over, people being put under the tracks and running over. That's how it starts. So that, mm. you know it's a good film. Mm. Um, I haven't seen it in about ten years. It's probably dreadful, but um, but yeah, I'd rather watch that than Fury. Well, how long have you been a military advisor for? 
Um, how long have I been saying I am one, or how long have how I been, actually been? How long have you been doing it for? Um, so full time for about two years. Um, started started doing it in about 2015. Um, and uh, four years. Well, so what what happened was I started the company in 2015. I went full time doing it. So my my last job in the army um, was working at the army officer selection board, which is the entrance the entrance exams to Sandhurst, yeah. uh, which is great fun because you get sort of eight 22-year-old people per week. <laughs> just You can just mess with their minds. If there's anybody out there who <laughs> who was one of my – because I must have – I did the maths. I must have had about sort of 300, 300 people come through uh come through me which sounds bad no uh th- three <laughs> 300 people that i i selected um and occasionally you bump into them like in a random place i had i was i was on the escalators at at, at um at heathrow yeah and i was chatting away to a friend of mine and i turned around and there was this young guy just <clears throat> staring at me and and it was this sort of fear and he was unsure as well you could see his and it, it took me about two or three seconds to work out where I knew him from. And he was one of the, I'd had him about three or four weeks before come through the army office as a election board and his face, because you're not, you're not mean to them, but you are very, very cold. And you, you would deliberately, I'm probably breaking some rules here, but you are deliberately, um, that's what I So Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Uh, in fact, I've still got a bit, so okay. you keep that. So you're deliberately, you don't give them any reactions. So constantly people, when they're doing a test, they look to the assessor for some kind of reaction as to whether they're doing well or not, because people want to see people nodding, people smiling, and you're trained not to. You give away nothing. Your your face goes completely blank. We call it the benign cow. Your face goes completely blank, and it freaks people out. And people, people start... It, People start um, second guessing themselves. Yeah, but you, that, what that does, Chair, what that yeah. does, Chair, is that put, puts you in confidence in yourself, being one hundred percent with what your decision making is. Yeah, it's like uh, it's. it's but put, if you're not, it completely it, unhinges yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, it's like uh, I like with my kids. Mm. So, like doing homework, um, right? Use the, ask the question, and when they reply, so I don't know, what's two plus two? Uh, is it four? Or are you asking me, telling me? No, exactly. Yeah. You're asking me, telling me. Are you sure? I have conviction in your answer. Are you sure is one of the most powerful things just to freak <laughs> yeah. somebody out. Yeah. So we used to, there's something called the planning exercise where they, they get given a theoretical problem, like a two-pager with a map. And it's like, you're in the jungle. Somebody's gone down with heat stroke. You've got to get this diamond back to this place. It's going to start raining, which reduces all land speeds by half. It's this massive problem. Got to get a diamond back. So again? Got to get a diamond. Back. Well, that's a fun. They give them lots of different tasks to do. What kind of and, missions do you have in well, the no, RTR? No, no, no. This, no, this isn't. This, this isn't from the RTR. This is just their, their scenarios. They're non-military based scenarios, so that nobody who's done cadets or TA has an advantage. I see. And one of the things is you've got to prioritise the tasks because some of the tasks, like getting the diamond back, are a minor task, and there are people who are injured. Somebody's had a snake bite. They've got ten hours to get to the hospital. <clears throat> anything like that, and. Um, and then you quiz them on it afterwards. They get an hour in a big room at a desk, complete silence, working it out. And after that, you then question them on their plan. And because you know all the answers, and you know every single possible permutation that there is, and you know all the maths. And you go, right, tell me your plan. And they go, oh, I'm going to go from here, I'm going to get to there, going to get that time, and I'll get the hospital at, at four o'clock. Four o'clock, are you sure? 
and you and yeah. your face is completely blank it's not giving away anything at all and they just go no and so it's it's it puts them under extreme stress and it's it's all all from them um but it's 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 um i've made i've made two people faint by because they're stood up at the map and they can they come under so much stress that some of them just all the blood goes and they just fall over it's really it's really bad i i'm one of them was a priest so I'm pretty sure I'm going to hell. I've got, <laughs> I've got to, I've got to do a lot of good things. This is why I do TR because I've got to do so much good stuff to even have a chance yeah. of getting back into heaven. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah. So um, I can't remember why I started on that. Oh, what well, um, we... you started? Um... Oh yeah. So so I was I was that was my last my last job, and I managed to find a way where I could do that same job but part time. So I did that part time for about. Um, just over a year while I was setting up the business. Um, and um, over time sort of pulled back on how much I was doing until about end of 2016 where I just stopped, stopped doing it and started doing this full-time. So long answer to a very short question. About two years full-time, about three and a half years um, part-time. How did you make an entry into the industry? I don't really know is the short answer. Um I it's not easy. So I started off I started off as most people probably do um being an extra is the easiest way to get on to a set because you're literally you require no qualifications, no acting training or anything like that. You are breathable furniture is is uh, sort of the industry standard term for it. You're, you're just a shape in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a really good learning experience because you see how all the different departments work, um, <clears> where <throat> the pinch points are, where the stresses are, and everything like that. And I was on a BBC production with a terrible haircut. Um, I had a German... I was playing a German soldier with a terrible haircut. What was the production? Um, it was called SSGB. Okay. It was about. Um, it was set from the point of view where um, the Battle of Britain had failed and the Germans had invaded the UK. Oh, amazing! Yeah, it was. It was unfortunately it wasn't the the production. A lot of people found it quite difficult to watch in terms of the sound. People, you know, it was around about the same time that people were having a whinge about the sound on the BBC it was really hard to follow. It was the same time that Tom Hardy was doing Taboo and nobody could really understand what he was saying. It was all sort of mumbly. And Sam Riley, who's a great actor, was playing the lead in this. And it was a similar problem with that. So I think a lot of people sort of lost faith in it towards the end. But it was really fun production to work on. Isn't there a, sorry, is it, mm. isn't there a book? Yes, it's based on a book by Len Dayton. Yes, which, which, yeah. which based on the Germans win. Yes. And now it, Britain yeah, yeah. is and the German rule. I've heard it's amazing. I've yeah. not read, have you read no, it? No, I haven't actually. I need no. to read that book. I meant, I meant to read it when I was doing the production, but completely forgot. Um, but no, it's something I'd like to go back and read now. Now that I've forgotten what the plot is i'd like to go back and and read it but yeah it's essentially about that sort of difficult thing where if you're in a country that's occupied do you work with the people or do you fight against them and and yeah how do you do that so it's yeah but it's it's a detective story at its heart well what should you do work with them or fight Um, against them Ooh, how would um, it have worked out for Palestine if they'd worked with yeah. Israel? I don't think God I don't knows. think they'd still be here. Well, yeah, if when when you bring into religion and all sorts of things, <laughs> when you like fundamentally disagree with everything that they're yeah. saying, it's like, but with us and the Germans, it's like, well, you know, 
No, mate. No way. Because <laughs> no. you got like no. Because mm. you got think about mate. No way. Because mm. you because you've been you've you've been done over, oppressed. Yeah. No, no I'm no. I'm sure. I'd, it'd be it, it's interesting actually. What how people would react to if that happened today? If the UK was invaded, whether whether people would would you know lie down or whether people would actually go right i'm going to go live in the woods in a hole and i'm going to start up some kind of insurgency yeah well based on history yeah. they just keep kicking off island yeah, yeah, just, exactly. yeah, just, mm. yeah. anyway digressing there <laughs> just <laughs> just a warning to any countries that think about invading britain don't we've got a lot of experience yeah, yeah. with no. being really really argy and just like <laughs> hiding in holes and causing shit so don't try yeah. Um, <laughs> how do we get to that? Oh, yeah, the program. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, so, yeah. So, SSGB. So I was, I was an extra on that. And um, uh, that was when I realised that extras, extras bless them. It's an interesting career. And extras sort of fall into a couple of bands. But some of them are just, most of them are just not particularly reliable. Um, there's, there was a particular problem within the industry where... Um, a lot of productions were looking for people with military experience and a lot of people were embellishing the truth in order to get on jobs. So on the the SSGB front, um, there was about about 20, 25 of us as, as sort of who were the core German soldiers throughout. There was only really about two or three of us that had any proper military experience. There were others who'd done cadets and there were some people who just blatantly lied and um and just didn't know what they were doing and um the second ad so there's there's the way the industry works on a on a set you've got the director who's the creative vision of what's happening so he's like the colonel he makes the decisions on on what they do he's of course constrained by budget and everything else but he makes the artistic decisions of what things look like um you then got the first ad who's like your regimental sergeant major ad assistant uh, sorry, director. Ass yep. assistant director yep. first ad so like the regimental sergeant major he um translates what what the director says into english and just makes it happen so um uh so they're sort of the they run everything they make sure everything works um, you've then got the second AD who is, sorry, second assistant director who's much more behind the scenes and their job is to get everything in place for the filming to happen. So, like the RQ. Yeah, a little bit. They're sort of, um, yeah, like the quartermaster. Yeah, that's probably, probably, probably the best way to describe them. Um, like the, two, the regimental 2IC or the RQ, oh, yeah, sort yeah, of that, yeah. it's sort of regimental he headquarters. It's that sort of thing. Um, they tend not to be on set. They tend to be at the unit base. So they have a like a uh, like a fob or a mob. They have a have a, a base a base at the back. I like oh, militarizing all this. Yeah. Well, no, the, the similarities between the film industry and the military are huge. Okay. The structure, the way that you work, the fact that you have you know weeks where you don't sleep and then you have lots of time off. Um, it's pretty similar. So the second AD, one of his jobs is. Uh, to organise the background, to organise um, the crowd. Um, and um, very quickly he sort of realised that that I wasn't a complete idiot. <laughs> I'm, get, I'm guessing. Uh, and, um, and so would often, would often ask me to control some of the more wilder, <coughs> wilder members of the background. So there was, there was a, there was a guy, bless him, who had, clearly got some sort of problems and would not stop talking 
uh, and was very unreliable. So for, for, for a few days, my job was basically to stand next to him and make sure he didn't do anything stupid, um, which was quite tough. <laughs> um, there was the other soldier that was on the production threatened to punch him out. <laughs> so, so I was, I, I had to do the, the officer thing. Cause this other guy, I think was probably a corporal. I had to do the, the officer thing and say, no, 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 I'll take him to one side. I'll have a word with him. So, um, so, and I, I kept being brought back in again and again and again for very specific parts. And in the end, um, uh, a couple of months went by and then he called me up and said, I'm doing, doing another TV show. Can you bring some more people like you? So I was like, yeah, sure. So brought some of the RTR lads down. Um, and, uh, yeah. And it sort of went from there. Um, but so, so providing, providing sort of specialist soldiers for productions is sort of one of the things we do. The advising sort of comes along with that and it, it depends what one comes first, but we're now at the stage where, uh, people call us up and say we're doing a production um this is the script can you help shape the script the military aspects because they've normally got the plot sorted but then the military bit there's this big black hole where they're like and military stuff happens can you help us how does mm. that work and then while while we're doing that we can say well this scene you've got here requires you know 10 soldiers to come bursting in through a door and clear a room you can either take extras normal background people and train them over three or four days and it still probably won't look that good or i can get the real soldiers in to do it and we can do it that way and yeah and that sort of tends to be how it sort of starts um we also we also train train actors how to how to shoot guns as well so how to be safe with firearms because there's 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 it's quite strange actually the the film industry's view on firearms is quite um quite strange there's a big misunderstanding. People think that blanks are safe. Okay. And one of the big things we, we learn as soon as we start is that blanks are not safe. Um, and, you mean in the military? When you start yes. In the military? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. There's normally the test where they put like a banana or some, somebody's pat lunch in front of a blank and just go, there you go. Not safe. Um, whereas the film industry think because, because they're blank, they are safe. And there's numerous examples where, where actors have been um, – blinded or deafened or some of them even killed yeah, deafened's the big one on set with blanks realize yeah. like it's like yeah. uh I, I i it's one of the things i do <laughs> i do always pick up and watch like military films with, with the missus mm. recently anyway and, it's, and, and it'll be like um firing we, uh, she'd never seen heat she'd oh, never seen heat we use heat as an example oh of how God. to teach yeah, yeah. so we so we're watching yeah. heat and there's a bit where uh it's, it's the famous the start of the famous yeah. yeah that famous the, um, the up the street scene yeah, yeah. brilliant yeah, yeah. scene um and they're firing the weapons in the car out the window. Mm. And as soon as there's nobody going, oh my yeah, God, what are you doing? Firing a gun inside you, idiot. They are immediately all yeah. deaf. I yeah, know exactly. Yeah, that is just, I said, I said, a word of advice, when the zombie apocalypse comes, don't go don't shoot in the car next car, to me, no. please. <laughs> <laughs> I was in there. Like, my first, my first uh, experience of that, really, was I, I had, I had Amplivox on, so ear defenders on. Mm. I'd just gotten the, the sniper platoon. And we were in a, we were in a in a building in it's in UK training, but we yeah. were firing live, and we were on a three three eight, and I was in there, you know, the shooter in front of me, and I, I just waited for my turn on the rifle, and uh, he took the shot, and obviously my hearing was fine, yeah. but when you're in an enclosed space like that, flipping heck, the pressure yeah. of one bullet, the I mean, SA eighty assault rifles, you get away with five 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 six, six. Yeah, ping. When that three three eight went off, I thought my head was going to explode. I thought my head was going to explode. I, I tell you what, funny enough, the the only other time I experienced that that bad 
was out in the open mm. and I was behind a something. Cow. No, it was oh. an armoured vehicle and it had the old uh, cyclical... Chain gun. Tra- 30 mil. Oh, 30 mil. So that was probably be CVRT, chain? yeah. CVRT. Like I was behind round, it. Duff, yeah. duff, duff. I yeah. was behind it, yeah. crouched down. We were getting ready to go into an assault. This thing was opening up and yeah. it opened up with that weapon and on my head, I thought my head was going to explode. Ba, 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 ba. I think, fucking hell, I'm outside. This shouldn't be happening. What are they firing? Have you ever been... Have you ever been on the ground with a Chally 2 firing? No, no. Because that not, is no, extraordinary. No, I, no, I Cause haven't. Because no. you get really blasé because inside, because all the, all the sound and everything goes out. So inside you're wearing cans. Um, and As in uh, um, ear defenders. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, you're wearing, you're wearing a headset, so it's similar to what we're The noise cancelling, aren't they? Um, I don't think they were, no. Mm. But the, the, the noise inside is not that bad. And so you think you get used to the sound being, you know, it's a muffled thump. Yeah. I mean, it's a big old noise, but it's yeah. not that loud. I suppose the pressure doesn't affect you either because you're inside, does yeah. it? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, because you're all closed down. Yeah. Everything, everything, the breach is sealed, so everything's going out the front. So nothing inside the cabin. It's just a bit of smoke and a bit of thump, but it's not that bad. Um, but when when you're outside, I remember being, I remember um, being on the range and walking up to a tank just as it fired. And I had ear div- I had ear defs on. I was just like, "What the hell?" It was humongous. It's it was something ridiculous. you can't see when people see it. Yeah. Uh, as in, you can you can hear the sound. So if you're watching a video of it, you can yeah. hear the sound. You can see the uh, like a mortar kick going, yeah. or like you're saying at yeah. Challenger Two. If you watch it on TV or from like 500 meters away or whatever, you can see it. But something you can't like translate is that pressure. The pressure, of the you know, thump. yeah, from. <sighs> So, so we, um, so on, when we teach actors with, uh, with firearms, we, if we've got time, depending on how, on how things go, we've got a 50 cal rifle that we use. Um, and we let them have a go with that. Hang on. I thought that caliber was illegal. No, it's not. So, um, fire, so as long as it's bolt action, as long as it's single shot, it just counts as a normal rifle. They tried to, they were thinking about banning it, but there was such a hoo-ha within the shooting community because people are like why there's lo- only like 10 people that have them you know there's no threat nobody's going to know that yeah, did so not you can, know that so it's like, you can i think they're going to do they're going to make it a little bit more difficult to get them but it's still a normal rifle at the end of the day so um but they did try to ban it earlier in the year so what have you got like a barrett or something? uh no it's um, AI. we so we no we've got we've got an ai in 308 um there there's a tac 50 uh, so we so we um we shoot on uh, a really good range down in Dorset called the Tunnel. Uh, it's called the Tunnel Target Sports Centre, and we've been shooting there for about two years now. Um, they are brilliant; they're really helpful to us, and that's where we teach all of our firearms, just because it's such an outstanding <clears throat> place. And it's, it's I think it's the only place in the UK where you can fire fifty cal indoors. How long is it? How, what's the hundred meters? Okay. So they've got four ranges. They've got a six hundred meter outdoor range. Got a hundred meter indoor range, and then they've got a forty meter and a thirty-five indoor as well. Um, they're expanding as well; they're building more in the next year. Uh, this year, now, whichever year we're in now, God knows. <laughs> we're in that that period, that first three weeks where you spend it writing two thousand and eighteen. Yeah. Like, Fuck, scribbling it out two thousand nineteen. Uh, so yeah, fifty cal, um, and the the person firing it's normally not that bad because it's got a muzzle brake on it. The worst place to stand is behind at about you know a meter to the left or to the right and it just like being kicked in the chest it's amazing yeah Such i was huge. Um, where was i 
uh, it was Afghan on the first tour, and I was <clears throat> I was working with another guy, another sniper called Stu Hale, and um, in fact we were talking about Kajaki the other mm, day, weren't yeah, we? He's, yeah. he's the f- so Stu Hale, yeah, is the first in the film is the first guy who steps in the mine. Oh, he's right, Wyatt, yeah, 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 we high. I was there before him. We high five. He came in and that happened. Um, but before that, a few weeks before, we were in a place called Nauzad, and uh, we were in the middle of a contact, and he was engaging this dude. And I ended up, I had a spotting scope. Yeah. I'm spotting, I was trying to get to a better position to, 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 to spot, funny enough. <laughs> and I crawled forward and I've got the scope and I hadn't realised I'd, I'd drawn level. Inside, I was yeah. level with the muzzle yeah. of a 338. Yeah. Um, and on that tour, the, the pro- back then, the problems with uh, like ear defence and stuff, you couldn't wear your in-ear earplug if you were a no. commander. No, you well, couldn't. Really? Yeah. Because no, you, you, cause your radio, yeah. you couldn't hear your radio. No. And then on subsequent tours, you had the in-ear stuff, which I still yeah. got now amazing. So I was down level with the muzzle. Mm. He took his first shot. I, I, it, was like, <laughs> uh, it was like taking a skewer. I, I was on the floor. I was doubled up on the floor. Oh, I, it was like yeah. taking a skewer and sticking it straight oh. through my right ear. Or, that's what it felt yeah. like. I was doubled up on the floor in agony, in Ouch. agony. Killed me. And then... Um, he found it amusing, and then I got up and cracked on. <laughs> I with my ear was all over the place. Yeah, it's uh, one of one of the best films for that is Black Hawk Down when um, Ewan McGregor McGreg- oh, you- and I've forgotten Spud, the actor's Spud name. Spud of a train spot. Spud, yeah. I've forgotten the actor's. Uh, is it Ewan Bremner? <laughs> Bremner? I, I don't. I don't know. I can't remember his name, but he but he gets somebody shoots next to his ear, and for the rest of the film, he's like, "What?" <laughs> that's exactly how it is. It's sort of, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, so that's so that's it. so we teach uh, we teach actors how to be safe um, with firearms because there's so much that can go wrong, and uh, and yeah, so we um, we've been doing that for about two years now. But that's that's sort of that's sort of really rewarding because lots of people come down who are unsure about firearms or they are they're they're concerned about it or they think that it'll be quite simple and then we scare the shit out of them on the first day by explaining in in detail how badly things can go wrong and giving them examples of where people have died on set with guns and they're like oh fuck i'm so glad i'm here <laughs> it's it's mm. a yeah it's a, it's it's a really fun course to teach mm. and we get some really good guys um trainee stuntmen and stuntmen down as well and plus a few actors a few sort of proper actors as well so yeah what were you saying you use heat for that scene in heat so we do we do various different courses we do th- three <clears throat> levels of course the first course is just about um firearm safety with a bit of maneuver in there as well a bit of sort of on the so the, we end up doing the final range we do with them is a four gun range where they start at the top with uh with an L ninety six and take two shots on a target and they make that safe. Then they step forward, they've got a pistol on their hip and they've got an assault rifle, and they go down a chicane lane taking on targets, doing a reload on the assault rifle, then at the bottom they do a transition drill to the pistol. Mm. Uh, and then they pick up a pump action shotgun and take on the last three targets. It's, mm. a, it's a, such a fun range. We have we have former forces people who are getting into the film industry come down and do the course as well, and um, and they sort of turn up thinking you know everything they do will just be revision for them, and then they get to the transition drills and pump action shotgun, and they're like, this is pretty cool. I've never done this before. Really? Yeah. Oh, not for you because you're you're sort of infantry, but we get people who are ah, sorry, so, I was going to say, so yeah, right, submariners okay, yeah, say, yeah, or yeah, you know, yeah. a na- oh, yeah. navy stoker or anything like that. Uh, we've had a few TA guys come down as well, and um, and yeah, of course, it'd be you've you've done stuff like that before, but um, 
most people haven't. I certainly hadn't, being a tanky. If you know, if there ever got to a point where I was using a pistol, something had gone drastically wrong in my career. <laughs> if I was using a pistol, it'd be to shoot myself, like the officer in um, Fury when he's on fire. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. They get him out of the way pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, you know he's going to die right from the moment you meet him. He's all clean and pressed, and the sergeants are all grisly and angry. It's like, yeah, that guy's got about thirty seconds before he's going to die in some horrible. Oh, there he is. He's on fire. Oh, and he shot himself. Brilliant. Fine. Now the sergeants can get on and win the war. <coughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oh, the range is cool. I yeah, surprise over the fifty, Carl. And uh, come down. I mean, come down absolutely. Machine, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll teach you some stuff. See you in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'd, yeah. you'd, uh, you'd, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's quite good fun, yeah. Where, whereabouts is it? Uh, it is on the border of Devon and Dorset, near near Axminster, and very near Lyme Regis. Um, it's a place called the Tunnel Target Sports Centre. Oh, I'll come down. Yeah. Yeah, I'll it's come an old down. railway tunnel that they've converted. Ah, yeah, it's clever. Really cool. It's really cool. Like it the old like pipe a, range. It's, uh, but, but on did a you ever use one of those? I did once to zero in... Lash Gagar, and I was like, "This is pony." Oh, they have one there, did they? They did. Yeah. Or was it with Hesco? I can't. I can't. Hesco it was, just, it was just like a pipe. I the one like, I yeah, I is, used one. In, I could have, um, I could have shot off the sides. It would have ricocheted yeah, in. That would have weird. <laughs> weird. I no. used one in Northern Ireland the first time I used it. Mm. When we deployed out there, and uh, yeah, just like a flipping like a. I mean, for people listening, don't know what a pipe range is. You you, you go inside like a bunker. And then you lay down and you're literally looking like, imagine like, like a, a drainage culvert. Yeah, it's like a know, drain like pipe. Two it's about, foot wide. Yeah, it's tiny, yeah. It's a horizontal laid. And, so you're looking yeah. down this tunnel and at the end of the tunnel is, is the target. Mm. And you just, so, so They're pops. really noisy because of yeah, how yeah, enclosed you yeah, are. Yeah. Yeah. No, this thing's, this thing's like a proper, it's actually, so the railway used to run over the top. So it's a two lane road that used ah. to run through it. So it's, it's massive. Oh, yeah. It looks like a James Bond baddie layer out the front. It's all glass and yeah. it's quite cool. Um, uh, but yeah, so um, yeah, it's just on the Devon Dorset border, but it's literally the only place in the UK that is um, sort of up to standard of of, of what we do. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a great place. If anybody ever wants to do any shooting and they're in that area, that's the place to go. Ali. Free plug. They'll be Ali. pleased. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, why did you call uh, Bear Arms Bear Arms? Um, What's the full name of the company? Bear Arms. Bear Arms. Yeah, Bear it's just called yeah. Bear Arms. Um, because... I don't know. So Al and I, so Al's my business partner. Um, Al and I were in a pub in Borough Market and Al had just come back from, I can't remember who'd just got, we we did, we ta- topped and tailed on tours. Mm. He'd gone and done a tour and then I flew out and he came back. And I think it was, I think I'd just come back. So this must have been middle of 2000, end of 2013 in Borough Market. We sat in the pub and we decided um we were going to do it and we were trying to think up a name and he and his brother had 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 previously thought about doing something similar and they had a name which was eagle smith armories or something like that it seemed very very u.s focused and uh, i was like not not really sure about this and i can't remember how we came up with it but we were literally sat there drinking beer and one of us said what about what about bear arms and went yeah, sure. Why not? And it was it wasn't it wasn't like there was any a lot of thinking went into it. But actually in 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 retrospect it's a it's a really handy name. And I've had I've had lots of lots of kids in London come up to me and because it's on the van and people are like that's a really cool name. Bear Arms, bruv. I'm like, what? I was like, <laughs> bruv. bruv. Yeah, and uh, cuz cuz bear in London street slang is lots of 
so i like is many it? yeah bear means like you know bear kudos or you know it means a, a large amount of well, i didn't know that no i didn't know that either but it, it it's it's um hmm. yeah and then also good because it comes pretty much at the start of any alphabet so whenever in a directory bear arms comes yeah. fairly up the top yeah. um bags and owls so b and a bear arms mm-hmm. uh, there's many reasons that, and it's good just short it's distinct it's easy to remember mm. there's um there's another company in the in the u.s <clears throat> called bear arms but they're a firearms um manufacturer and range but because it's the right to bear arms was where it was originally where we came up with the idea i see i see but changing bears in b-e-a-r to b-a-r-e mm. and that is mostly because when i registered the company i spelt it wrong but <laughs> but in hindsight it's actually a lot better that way because we don't want to be mixed up with um those kinds of people that 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 do think that everybody should have guns because for the record we don't think that everybody should have guns i think that's a crazy idea um because because the more people that have guns the more chances are of people shooting each other that's what guns are for so um so we're we're sort of we're sort of the laws in the uk i think are uh, pretty spot on in terms of firearms yes it does make it harder for some people to shoot but not as in not as in to shoot shoot other people as in to you know target shoot or shoot for sport but guns are not nice things they are they are designed for one reason one re- reason only therefore they should be in the hands of the people who are very well trained yeah it's a difficult one with with the states so you come on to it yeah i mean <clears throat> the the problem is i i I think I did think that it was like the problem over there with the shootings and all the rest of it. And you got the, the constitutional right to have better bear yeah, arms. The right to bear arms, yeah. Um, the argument against uh, the argument against re- restrict uh, improving the laws so it restricts who you, can carry. Yeah, you can't change it now. That's the problem. You can though. You, you can, can, but it makes it very, very difficult. The, Go on. Because the, so one of the one of the biggest arguments that makes sense because there's a lot of arguments that don't make sense. Like one of my favourite ones is you can't change the constitution. Is that like, well you can? It's called an amendment. It such as happens is the second amendment, so it has already been changed once. Um, but the main main one that people come up with is well the criminals have all got guns, and that's something you can't really argue with because guns are so prevalent and so easy to get hold of. Everybody does have guns, so it's like a nuclear war. Um, where you're asking one side to get rid of their stuff first. It's like, well, that's not going to really work. Um, I think I think there is a couple of changes that could be made to the laws, and I'm speaking well outside of my comfort zone here because I'm not, I'm not an expert on US law or even UK law. But one of the things I find very difficult is the fact that almost anybody can buy a gun. There's no... I don't know if it's true or not, but somebody once said to me that even if you're on a government watch list, that um, means you're not allowed to board a plane. You're too dangerous to fly, not even to pilot it, just to board it. You can still buy a gun. That the, just the, seems a bit crazy. The, the, the rules vary from state to state, mm. don't they? Yeah, they <laughs> I do, mean, yeah. the way I look at it is, I'm not an expert on law either, but mm. the way I look at it is this. Uh, <clears throat> by reducing the... Uh, by making it harder to get guns mm. in the USA, right? Absolutely, you're going to end up with a disproportionate amount of, well, it just go out of proportion, whatever it is now, mm. to criminals, to good people having guns, right? But over time, it mean it means there's less, less guns, guns yeah. become less accessible and less, and mm. and 
and therefore there's less of them in the system and therefore mm. if there's less of the guns in the system and there's bigger repercussions for owning illegally mm. or using them Agreed, yeah. illegally then then it it it, it, it reduce look yeah. it, it, it's proven australia did it yeah, yeah. we did it with uh, pistols yeah you're uh, after uh, dumbling yeah um mm. not pi- yeah pistols you know yeah um it, it can be done the problem it is part of the problem is mm. The, the huge amount of money there is in that market in America, yes. yeah. which is why, if anything, it's going to take something more catastrophic than the catastrophes that have happened already. Well, that's the problem. Is the the yeah. it's sort of they happen so often that that people get not not immu- immune to it, but it just becomes part of life, mm. and it's 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 sad. But then you'll always have the arguments for why people should have guns, and it's the 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 one the one argument that that is just just needs to stop is there are people who say they need to have guns because the original reason why the right to bear arms came about is so that people could rise up against a tyrannical yeah. government basically the brits us but and people still holding on to that it's like i'm i'm really sorry but you and your mates with your ar15s you're not going to be any match for the government with tanks drones satellite with lasers anything like that you know it, 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 that is a, a ridiculous argument mm. you're not going to overthrow the government that's just not happening mm. and so there's no so people people in this country assume that there's some sort of register so if like you own a car you're on the dvla register that's registered to you in the states they don't have that there's no such thing as an online database so when you're watching C- csi and they match up a gun and they go that's owned by john smith in in wherever that doesn't happen because there is no list because mm. people are paranoid that if there is a list then the government can round up everybody that has guns and take all the guns away it's like well, they're not going to do that if you just do some reasonable small steps just to make make it more difficult for people that shouldn't have guns to have guns then 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 maybe you can start reducing the problem even just a little bit but yeah, it's it's a difficult one because it's it's part people see it as part of their rights and it's an it's an infringement because it's always been there. It's infringement on their rights. It's mm. like in the UK we we're quite we're quite hot on free speech. So if you suddenly said to people, right, you're not allowed to use these words, it's a similar kind of thing. It's like, hold on, no, the the we're these are our rights. We should be allowed to. So it's it's a tricky one. Yeah. We're not gonna solve that mm. over coffee. No, not no, not no. It's a tricky one. Um, <clears throat> uh, how do we get into that? Um, firearms laws, fifty cal, all that jazz. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. What was the mm. what was the thing that happened up in Scotland? Was it Dunblane? Dunblane. Dunblane yeah. Dunblane. So yeah, Dunblane in ninety seven. That's right. Yeah. I t- Andy Murray went to Dunblane, he did. didn't he? He was yeah. he, him and his brother were both at the school at the time. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Flipping heck. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't bear thinking about it, does it really? Yeah. Um So what what age did you get into the army? Uh I was twenty two. I had my twenty third birthday at Sandhurst and um uh yeah, it was about three weeks in and during during the first five weeks you're not allowed to leave camp. And <clears throat> my mum insisted on delivering a birthday cake to me oh, God. Um, and i was uh, <laughs> we were sat it was about nine o'clock in the evening and we were sat there polishing shoes and um i got this text i, I said to her, you know don't come down don't come down but my mum my mum is 
My mum doesn't, you know, she, she, she just, she's very strong willed. And, um, <laughs> and I was like, please don't come down. Please don't come down. And she's like, I'm here. I'm outside the gates. And, and I was like, oh God, I'm not going to be able to get, I mean, we're all here. The sergeant's here. I'm not going to be able to get away to come down to the front gate. And, uh, the sergeant was a lovely man. His, um, his name was Colour Sergeant Jones. He was Welsh. Um, uh, I think it was Jones 432. And I might have got that wrong. It might just be because of the armoured vehicle, the 432. Yeah. But he was he was a massive man. He looked, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, if he does hear this, he looked a lot like Shrek. Um, <laughs> but in the same way that Shrek was an ogre on the outside, <clears throat> on the inside, he was lovely. So all we worked out pretty quickly. It was a pretty soft touch. But all the other platoons were terrified of him because he was humongous and he would shout and he would spit but with us he was all cuddly and warm <laughs> and um and but we didn't know this we weren't at that stage yet mm. and and i went up to him and color sergeant um my mother has delivered a, a birthday cake can i can i go and fetch it he's like right you can but you have to march all the way there and you're not allowed to stop. You're not allowed to talk to anybody, and you come straight back. I was like, "Thank you, Sergeant." So, in coveralls and like a, a green jumpsuit, marched my way down to the front <laughs> gate. Like, and I was terrified. And Sandhurst was was deserted. It was dark. But there were all these lights everywhere. So, furtively marching from shade to shade, from shadow to shadow, marched. You know, like the two miles down to the front gate. And my mother sort of passed this cake through like like some sort of prisoner. <laughs> I sort of said hello to my mother, took the cake and then marched all the way back again and then shared the cake out between the deep <laughs> two. But yeah, I was, uh, I was 22 when I started, yeah. Sanders, a bizarre place. It's hilarious. You lot are bizarre. Flipping it's heck. fucking hilarious. I went down there for... Uh, <clears throat> they wanted to send me there to, be, to go down and instruct down there. Oh, brilliant. I went down for a, a week and like a look at life yeah. as an instructor at Sandhurst. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> Fucking hell. It's a lot of hard work. Oh, God. Well, it, for the staff, it is. Oh, it's hardcore. It's hardcore. Hard I do yeah. not envy those color sergeants down there. I do yeah. not envy them. It's hardcore, right? Um, the, like the work rates, the, the hours, it's a flipping nightmare. Um, but one of the, one of the things that always sticks in my mind about Sandhurst is that this, you know, you have to choose a couple of sports that you have to beat to take part in, I think, as you're, as in, as a, as a, as a student, you call yourself a recruit, whatever you call yourself, uh, young cadet, officer, an, an right officer cadet. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I, if I remember the instructors, I do too. And one of the sports at Sanders that you could choose was was beagling. Yeah. Oh my god. Beagling. Beagling. <laughs> I, I think what we do, we be back in the eighteen hundreds. <laughs> beagling. I, yeah, I had heard. About, I had. I had heard that. I mean, there was a there, there. There was beagling was still a sport when I was there. And honestly, it's really weird. The military in some senses a very forward-leaning organization in some senses there are pockets of it that are 200 years old and will not be touched with a barge pole um, you do need that though i think you do need that adds some character but bloody hell it's a bit weird there was a there was a friend of mine who was part of who chose croquet as his oh, as his sport and um soon realized that, that he was the only one um and he got a few friends involved <laughs> And, um, but they just used to sneak off and have, have beers and they never played karaoke, not once. Um, and they did this for about three months, always bunking off every sports afternoon. And there was a pavilion down in the middle of nowhere and they always go down there and drink beers. And they got rumbled because one of the officers, one, uh, one of the colonels decided that he 
wanted the, cro- the croquet set for his summer party. So he he went down to the stores oh, to no. sign out the set. Like, we don't have a croquet set. Oh, <laughs> it's God. like, what are the croquet club using? We've got a croquet club? He <laughs> 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 got rumbled, yeah. Shit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Santos is weird because it's... it's, it's um, People don't think... The idea that people have of Santos that's going to turn you into an officer... It doesn't. Um, Sandhurst teaches you how to be self-sufficient, teaches you how to be part of a team, but most of the time it teaches you resilience about being able to put up with the hardship and put up with not a lot of sleep, not a lot of food, being wet and tired and still being able to function. But it, it doesn't teach you how to lead men. So when when people sort of explain how Santos is really good at developing leaders and teaching people how to lead soldiers. I say, no, it doesn't. And they say, why not? So, well, my first week as being a young officer, um, <clears throat> one of my troopers, Trooper Cox, who's, I think he's, is he, he might be a sergeant now. Uh, Trooper Cox came up to me and said, boss, can I talk to you about This is when you got something? to the unit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, boss, can I talk to you about stuff? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Expecting it to be one of the many scenarios that we'd be briefed about that, that troopers will want to talk to you about, you know, the latest development in Challenger 2 technology or what was happening in Russia. No. Uh, Trooper tr- 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 Cox was, um, he dropped his trousers and went, is my cock supposed to look like this? <laughs> and the end of it was green. And I was like, no, oh no. God. In my limited experience, <laughs> no, it's not supposed to look like that. But n- nothing about Santos will ever prepare you for leading soldiers. Soldiers are are wonderful and a pain in the arse all at the same time. And Santos just doesn't teach you about soldiers. It teaches you about how to run a platoon attack. Brilliant. But it doesn't teach you how to, how to lead men, how to mm. actually deal with that. So um, lots of people come out of Santos thinking they're now the fully formed, fully formed officer ready to go and lead the world. Most people come out of Santos and go, right, what do I actually know? Not a great deal. And then spend the next <clears> few <throat> years actually learning. And the best bit about being an officer is having... So, soldiers being part of a part of a team and unfortunately that goes pr- pretty quickly after the first four or five years if you're lucky um then you're moving on to a desk job so it's it's a shame because those those formative years are the best parts mm. it's, it's like anything isn't it uh you you like you don't look you know you, you do your driving test you do mm. driving lessons and you pass your test you don't really know how to drive a car properly and confidently until no. you ask your test. But this is but this is like doing your driving test, passing that, and then learning how to drive with five kids in the back, <laughs> constantly going poking you. And in charge of some head. of the controls as well. <laughs> Here's a question. Just for grabbing that. the handbrake from time to time. Here's a question for you with, yeah. with you tankies, right? Yeah. When you're on the ground, mm-hmm. as in on an operation. On the ground, no, no, we don't go on, go on well, the ground. Right. We stay when, in the tank. Die before dismount. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When you're yeah. when you're op- on operations, yeah. okay, and you're in you you in your tank yeah. and your tank breaks down, yeah, and you got are you got have you guys got any mechanical expertise? Yeah, or? so we get so we get trained um we get trained the basics of how to fix it and the the maintenance of the vehicle. Um so and as a crew you've got all these tasks to do. <clears> there are there are bigger problems where we've always got a remi detachment um who are close at hand. So if there's a big problem that is just beyond us, like a pack lift. So if the engine is gone and it needs to be swapped out. Power cell, they call it, don't they? 
a pack, power pack, pa- or an, power the engine. Pack. Yeah, the okay. engine, the power. The Why pack. is it called that? Tonight. I did look it up, and I can't yeah. remember. It, I did look it up, and because it's it's not an internal combustion engine. It's a, it's it's well, think, something else. Isn't I think it? it's because it's it's not just the engine; it's all the other bits as well. It's it's in one sealed, not sealed. It's in like a. If you imagine Thunderbird two, it's in like a like a thing like that. It's a just box comes just out completely. In, slot yeah, out, right. slotted in, slotted out. Well, it's not that that quick. It takes hours, and there's loads of things to connect up. Um, but if it's a big thing like that, but it would never be as a crew. You're responsible for the vehicle, um, and um, unfortunately, because of the way that. <clears throat> Um, the army doesn't really have any tanks nowadays. It's sort of mothballed most of them. So you, it used to be the, the the case, and this was, and this has already changed when I started. It used to be the case where every tank crew would have their tank, and that would be their tank. So you knew it inside and out, all yeah. the quirks, all the intricacies. You knew how it worked. You yeah. knew what was going to go wrong with it. But then they started something called whole fleet management, where basically they couldn't afford to have all the tanks. So pool, pool tanks. Yeah, pool tanks. So you mothball half of them, and then when you went on an exercise, you got tanks back. And with any kit that you're you're pooling, you put it in sparkling, perfect, and you get it back, and it's dog shit. Yeah, uh, it's just the way the way that that it is. But um, it was a problem because then people sort of lost pride in the vehicles because they weren't theirs, and they knew no matter how much. It's like having a hire car. You're not going to take care of it because you know it's going back oh, at the end. Hammer of it. It. Yeah. Exactly. You fucking rag it. So, uh, <laughs> so, um, so, unfortunately, that sort of side of it's been lost a little bit. Um, uh, but um, again, I forgot what the question was. I just uh, well, um, yeah, it was uh, oh, me- mechanical expertise. But yeah, so yes, yeah, yeah. Got- so we do we do know how to fix it, but not as well as the Remy do. Got another question for you. Yeah, go on. On the because all these questions pop my head now. Yeah. I've seen a tank. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in fact, my first experience of a Challenger two, it was in Salisbury playing. I can't remember what exercise we were doing, and um, and they uh, just like a demo. We had like a mm. tank demo. Oh, we can get inside it as well actually. But they did a tank demo, and one of the things they did in the demo was they they did a sm- they did ju- they popped smoke. Yeah. But not they popped smoke by like when they. I didn't. I couldn't believe the amount of smoke this flipping so this thing generated. Would from, this would be from the generators. So what we they pour oil on diesel. The- so what what they have is they have the exhausts. Yeah, and they have a, a diesel injector, so it injects fuel directly onto the hot exhaust. So it yeah. just creates smoke. Mental. It's basically burning fuel, and it just. I couldn't yeah. believe it. It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. it's. Uh, <laughs> they've got they've got the smoke discharges on the front, which are like smoke grenades that just <clears> pop <throat> out, and yeah. that's that's in a like oh fuck, there's something coming at me. The third Russian shock army is coming over the hill, like boop, <laughs> backwards, go 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 go, and then you've got the the smoke generators for the engine that just kick out huge amounts of plumes of smoke, but you don't want to be standing anywhere near them when they do because it's just diesel. Yeah. It's a cloud of diesel. Yeah. So, uh, so my, my technical question. Yeah. Was a. Uh, well, technically, maybe not the right word. Inside, right? Yeah. You got your, you got your driver, you got your commander, yeah. you got your loader, and you yeah. got your gunner. Gunner, yeah. right? Why aren't? Why is it self-loading? Ah, so um, a lot of other nations, so the Russians and the US, have self-loading tanks. Um, what are the Russians now? Latest generation? Uh, they've got something called the Armata, which okay. is their brand, brand new ones. But the problem is they've been. Um, because of everything the Russians have been doing over the past few years, a lot of um, a lot of organisations like the EU and NATO have got sanctions against Russia, so you're not allowed to trade with them. So <coughs> Russia hasn't been able to produce as many as armatas as it thought it would be able to. For instance, um, uh, all the armatas different because 
all of the crew are in the hull of the tank and the turret is remotely operated ah so and that's to make it more basically safe for the crew um but it doesn't mean that everything's done by screen as opposed to like like an optic um it's done by screen and all the screens most of the screens that they use are produced by france and now france aren't allowed to trade with them they don't have the screens for it so the armata is technologically brilliant however they don't russian industry can't build them so the numbers of armata they've got are quite small so i think most of their military and all my friends are going to rag me for this most of the military are probably operating off of t90s and t72s why will you make it raggy for it? Because if I get this wrong, because it's a tank oh. question. Because <laughs> my friends are geeks with tanks. Um, <clears throat> uh, so, um, so the Russians. So, yeah, so going back to why why we have four, um, it's to have that redundancy again. So, if somebody gets knocked out, you can still run the. Tank oh, why well, you have four three. tanks? Yeah. Oh, four people. Yeah. Four people. Yeah. You can still run it with three. It's a lot easier to do all the jobs that are required on the tank radio stag everything like that if if you've got four um and the british way is that if with four people there's always somebody to make the tea <laughs> whereas, whereas in all the other time plus plus auto loaders um when the challenger 2 was being designed which was sort of late 1980 late 1980s early 1990s the auto loaders weren't as reliable um and prone to jamming also it means that you have to store uh, the ammunition in a very different way so what um can make the tank quite vul- vulnerable <clears throat> to hits so if you do get a hit it can set off one of the one of the one of the easiest ways to kill a tank is to hit the ammunition and then that will just blow up the entire tank so the british tanks are very careful about how they store things and where they store things so the, if there is a hit on the tank it's not going to we call it brewing up where the, you see the turret pop off because just of all the force it's a horrible way to go but it must be quite quick but um with an auto loader um you can have problems where the ammunition isn't as safe and secure so there are a number of reasons as, as to why um how it depends um, on design yeah how how you may not know this you may not how do you know the chopper armor yeah does that does that mitigate against uh, thermobaric weapons or not so thermobaric weapons are more against Buildings, buildings not yeah ah, they yes. don't they don't thermobaric weapons sort of create a vacuum which collapses a bit a building essentially um they suck all the air out of something yeah um if if a building is weak enough it'll collapse the building they're really good really good i say that they're really useful for sort of urban warfare because you can launch one into a building and it'll only affect that building it won't affect the buildings either side of it yeah um that kind of weapon wouldn't be very useful against a tank because it won't penetrate no it wouldn't really they're not designed to do that they're more um like a hand grenade or something they're designed like a like an area type thing the way the way to destroy a tank is to have a penetration device so essentially something that's small and can punch through the armor um so we use um darts um they're normally depending on what level of warfare you're at um the highest one is depleted uranium darts so depleted uranium is extremely dense um so if that gets fired it's basically a rod and that will just punch a hole straight through straight through the armor so um so it's more punching through something rather than exploding Mm. there's no actual 
explosive force in there apart from what ejects it out the tank at the start when it hits into something else it's going to punch a hole straight through it that's 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 the main way to kill a tank um then you have the top um tanks tend to be very well armored on the front because that's tanks are designed to get to fight against other tanks so very well armored on the front which is where you're going to receive most of your hits um quite well armored on the side but on the back and on the top and on the bottom not very well armored at all simply because you can't armor everywhere because if you armor everywhere yeah. then the whole thing slows down yeah. there's like a there's like a balance between three things which are the protection of the tank uh the maneuverability of it and the firepower so those three things you can't have all three because um something will always su- suffer so the russian tanks tend to be very maneuverable not particularly well armored ours the challenger twos are more of a, a balance between the three um but they are not very well armoured other places. So if you want to tackle a tank, we have something called the top attack. So javelin is a top javelin, attack yeah. weapon. So effectively it'll hit on the weakest part at the top of the tank where there is no armour because it's not designed to receive hits from above. Um, whereas like a normal Milan or something like that is just going to go into the front of it, that'll be fine. So if you if you are in this situation, if let's say we do get invaded by somebody, we have to form an insurgency and they've got tanks, underside of tanks, back of tanks, top of tanks. Mm. Yeah. yeah, javelins can be direct as well. I like the javelin. I liked the javelin. <laughs> I don't, because I'm a tanky. We don't yeah, like no, things like, like the, javelin. the javelin. It's scary. Useful. It doesn't yeah. just lock on the tanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we used to use it in Afghan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing. Very effective. <laughs> very, very effective. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> You're not you. What you're saying there about that balance between uh, maneuver, you know, maneuverability, uh, firepower, and protection—that protection, mm. reminded me of a of a thing that a problem that mm. dismounted troops got, it's infantry got yeah, over time. Problem. Where more, more kit on them, yeah, more and more protection, protection, yeah, more exactly. protection. When we were in the first yeah. Afghan, tour, it was Afghan, did it? Yeah, when we were in the first Afghan tour. Man, um, you know, with three Prano six, and we would be in the old school. But combat body armor, yeah, which is yeah. useless. But but we used to, we, we were really lucky in our um, the, the, the CEO we had at the time, Stuart Toodle. And in order for that balance, he, we wanted, there were certain parts of the unit, snipers mm. wanted to do it, and some of the um, infantry sections, uh, infantry sections, the rifle company sections mm. wanted to do it. Wanted to bin the, on the offensive attacks, they wanted to bin it. If we're going to do an, yeah. on an offensive attack, well, let's bin a fucking body. I'm more maneuverable without it. We're lighter. We can move about. And and, and then the the uh, kind of warfare like that was going on. It was very much conventional firefights. Uh, mm. IEDs were there, but not as not as uh, not as bad as they got. Yeah. Not yeah, not as frequent and intense as yeah. they were later on in later tours. They were able to do that, and he led the commander's decision. So it'd be right, we've been in body armor, or are we not? And literally, I remember getting off. Is it, in fact, at that time, we were on about CVRT and, and, mm. and I was behind it. But when we went there, we jumped off the helis, uh, jumped off the Chinooks. It wasn't a hot HLS. So we jumped off the Chinooks, oh, pile of, and it was yeah. just a pile of body armor there. And we went in, you know, without the body armor and just, <laughs> just as we were, we were in fighting. Um, so you wouldn't, you'd never be able to do that. And then as it yeah. went on, it went from, no, you can't, literally, uh, towards the end that mm. I was happening, no, you can't do it anymore because people were getting, uh, subsequent tours, people. There's a lot of injuries, a lot of people getting killed. The public yeah. perception was going was, was exactly turning, it. the and perception. then it became body armor, body armor, body mm. armor. 
and then the, even by the second tour, which is uh, that we did, which was just 2008. Flipping heck, man. I mean, it doesn't just affect your weight, the body. Yeah. You had massive plates on the front, a massive plate in the back. You know, you, it was the Osprey. Yeah. Well, side plates came later. There'd be loads yeah. of stuff. Collar. You try, like, try shooting accurately. Never mind with the sniper rifle, but with an assault rifle. You try shooting accurately that in the prone position. You can, it's impossible. The one it's, thing. It's flipping nightmare. The one thing that got me that always, that always, I was, I wasn't <clears throat> a very good po- political officer, as in people, in order to, to progress, you have to be very good at um, not just saying, well, that's a fucking shit idea. <laughs> you've, got to, you've, you've got to be much more careful about what you say and how you say it. I, I was always very bad at that. And one of the things was um, scrim on helmets, like proper, you know, like a, a fucking bush on the on the oh, that's the, the different thing. to scrim that's yeah a, a no, not scrim not not as in just not as just not as in, in the power net, edge old school not scrim. as in power retting yeah. a bike tube bike energy yeah, from yeah, around yeah. your hat no I'm nbc about, boot nbc boot, yeah, an NBC yeah, yeah, boot. No, yeah. i'm talking about sort of um like cam netting and all sorts of stuff and we were told you know you have to have to have your your uh your helmet cammed up i was like why is that like, because there's a study that's come out that says people without cam people the no no it was the the people that are most likely the, the all the, all the people that have been shot haven't had scrim on their on the helmets and it was it was about it was about the mbc boot it was about um later off the mbc boot having sniper tape around it it was like all the people that have been shot have had sniper tape the vast majority of people have had sniper tape around it therefore we've assessed that sniper tape is more of a risk because it makes it e- <laughs> easy to see and i was i was standing thinking that's not how statistics work no, no it's because the no. people who are doing the fighting at the front have all got sniper tape on it's not <laughs> yeah. because the sniper ta- uh, yeah. but anyway regardless of what the reason was we told we have to have all this scrim on and getting in and out of an armored vehicle with anything on is a pain in the tits but with scrim on it you're like getting caught yeah. on everything i said this is just a complete nightmare and then you have to have scrim like i'm inside a vehicle yeah. and you are and and even if i wasn't i'd be up at the turret the, the people are going to see that i'm wearing a vehicle around my waist you know having just and it gets to that point where it becomes a po- political decision as opposed to a tactical one and and same with you about dumping the armor the, the problem becomes- is proving otherwise it's like um <clears throat> I, I i would argue that uh if you know if that that attitude that we had in that 06 tour mm. that where look you can either wear your body or a binet it's up to you whatever mm. your uh, we entrust the user commander the ability to, to make to a decision what yeah. works in that operation mm. because if i'm going in and i'm going to take my team in and do an attack and and based on the assessment it's probably going to be more like the conventional mm. fire uh firefight or firefights then we've probably been body armor. But if I'm going to assess that the the modus operandi, whoever we're going to kill, mm. is maybe IDs, is maybe booby traps, well, I may think differently. If you'd had that all the way through, you could maybe argue that would well, you, no, you can hypothesise maybe the casualties would have been less because we'd be more manoeuvrable. Therefore, we can get out of the way of the enemy quicker, mm. or we can close the enemy quicker, or this that, the other. The problem is again, yeah. you can't you, you can't, can't prove do. otherwise. I remember going on a um, we're gonna have to wrap this up in a minute, but oh, <clears> no, I, really? Yeah, yeah, I don't know, mate. <laughs> I think barely scratched the surface. <laughs> I remember going on to um, Inquest, yeah, for a guy that was killed in our first tour, and uh, and one of the things his his mother came out with, just an example, mm. and you know, fucking hell, I can't imagine losing you know your child like that. And um, one of the things that came up was, was she was questioning, or her question was. 
why why can they not have body armor that covers the whole body yeah and and, you know it's like and that's that's no i'm not slagging her off it's that attitude that i understand that Mm. why but that's when you don't understand how how sort it of works. it works yeah. whether you're in a tank whether you're on the ground they, they, they come, when you come when you get people in uh, loads of body armor like you're yeah. saying or loads of protection you yeah. put your top you put uh, loads of bo- armor on the top of the tank underneath equal all the way around you're less maneuverable yeah. you can carry less ammunition you know, it's the same mm. thing with 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 guys or girls yeah, on the ground exactly it's same uh thing. Same, same thing. it's a it's a flipping nightmare it's a nightmare but you um, can you can understand their point of view yes but they're coming from a completely yeah. different point of view the other yeah. thing it comes down to is responsibility of whoever's in command and what what uh, what has changed over time is that people have been unwilling or unable to hand the responsibility down to lower commanders. So <clears throat> going back, you know, 10 years, if somebody under your command, as, as a colonel, somebody under your command dies, then that may have been seen as more of a fact of life of, as, as as to what we were doing later on if somebody under your command dies then perhaps people were given more of a hard time and it was investigated further and every little detail was dragged out as to why that individual died why wasn't that individual wearing gloves why wasn't that individual wearing eye protection whatever it might have been and so commanders felt less able to devolve that risk down to their to their troops and as you say you know commander's decision on the ground whatever was tactically ap- appropriate at the time it then changed to right this is now a political situation we can't have anybody dying not wearing body armor because then we get in the news about troops not wearing body armor so therefore everybody has to wear it regardless mm. and so it's 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 that it's that problem you're not you're not totally free no. there's always always lots of other influences that are going to affect yeah, how you, affect how you fight I mean, yeah. I mean on the on the third tour and then uh and one of the rules in the third tour was you weren't allowed to deploy on the ground with any less than 12 men mm, interesting yeah i um, <laughs> i wanted a I had a problem with one of the um pbs and uh with a particular threat and i wanted to I wanted to put a, an ambush in. Mm. Not with 12 fucking people. I'm thinking 12 people. You know, you're going into a, a village. It was mm. in at night. Um, you can't be very discreet with 12 people. You can be discreet, don't get me wrong, mm. right? But you tw- have 12 people in an ambush when you plan on being there for days. We didn't end up there, we didn't end up there for days. We planned on being there for days and nights. And I wanted to take five in. Um, the decision ended up going all the way to Whitehall. You know, yeah. the OC wanted to do it. The Trinkman wanted to let us do it. The OC wanted to let us do it. The CO wanted to let us do it. And it, yeah. I had to go right at the top because yeah. it was a strategic decision on less than 12 people. Because yeah. uh, people, uh, people don't feel comfortable enough saying, yeah. yes, I'll take that risk. I will, I'll accept and that risk. And the only risk, risk is to, that you're more likely to, to get brassed up. Yeah. And I understand it. But yeah. the the decisions get made at the top and the... And the mm, and the in favor the knee-jerk reactions to make decisions in favor of the of public relations. Yeah, it's where priorities lie, yeah. and with politicians, yeah. the priority is not necessarily they no. can't they can't see how that one little operation on the ground is affecting things. Mm. All they can see is how does this look to the public? How is this going to affect you know the next ten to fifteen years? Are we going to get re-elected or or mm. anything like that? Is 
everybody's priorities at a very different mm. level are completely different. It's often very different at opposite ends of the spectrum to see what those people at the top are seeing and likewise what those people at the bottom are seeing. But yeah, it's just a fact of it's a fact of life re- really is the, the the workers on the bottom will never ever be able to understand how the people at the top view things and likewise. That's just it. Mm. Yeah, I agree. It's a shame. Yeah. Uh However, let's end on a positive note. Yeah. Tell me, tell me uh-huh. how people. In fact, any shameless plug time. So, yeah. Uh, tell people how they can find Bear Arms website, all the rest of it. Uh, if you want to find Bear Arms, we're on Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter. We use occasionally, but not really. And we've got a website as well. So on Facebook and Facebook and Instagram, we're under as Bear Arms Film. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the internet we're beararms.co.uk i'll put a link in, yeah. the, in the description of the podcast anyway for it uh, anything anyone else you want to shamelessly plug tr always tr team rubicon we haven't got time to, to really talk about it but um uh transitioning from the military into the real world is always exceptionally tough and nobody really realizes how tough it is until you're until you're in it um i leaving the military looking back on it suffered a massive loss of purpose um at the time and you know you've had rich sharp on here you've had uh, paul gadadanis as well and they've they've sort of mentioned similar things especially paul and a lot of people have met yeah, a lot of people have you, it's a recurring theme it's that it's that loss of identity so you you in the military everybody has a very distinct identity based on rank regiment <clears throat> whatever it is everyone sort of knows their place and, and they fit into something they're a cog in a machine they and they're and they're comfortable with that and then you have a purpose you are your your role is 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 again part of a machine that is driving forward to do something when you leave it's not you you lose that you don't people don't don't look at you and understand where you fit within things and you struggle sometimes to think, right, why am I doing what I'm doing? What's the point of it? So I I I suffered quite badly from this because um I basically had two things in my life, which were the military and my and my partner at the time. And uh we broke up sort of the same month that I left. And so for me the two sort of driving factors in my life were pretty much pretty much overnight just went. And I was pretty lost. Um starting up a business is a really tough thing to do and so i didn't really have any support network at all and again i didn't realize at the time but looking back at it i was struggling and then i found tr and the reason why i found tr was because i was looking for somewhere to base the business from and uh, a friend of mine mentioned that tr had got some bunkers or they got something called the hangar and I thought it well, was a hangar. So my idea was to go down there and see if there was anything down there that I could use. Um, and um, it turns out the hangar is just a nickname for a building that they've got. It's not a <laughs> hangar at all. I was devoted when I arrived. I was like, that's not a hangar. That's like a, that's like a block. Anyway, um, and, then, and then I found what they were doing. I was like, this, is, this seems awesome. This seems like something I want to do. Mm-hmm. And so TR, for those people that haven't heard of it, um, is Team um, R- Rubicon. So Team Rubicon are... Uh, disaster relief disaster relief of about fit um predominantly using the veterans but they will take absolutely anybody as long as you've got the the sort of the attitude 
uh, required. Um, and um, I talk about them at the start and end of every podcast. Brilliant. Yeah, um, yeah. We'll talk about them. <laughs> talk about them throughout. And I and anybody that's leaving, I would I would absolutely recommend just to have a look at TR. You might not need them, but there might be a point where you're feeling a little bit a little bit lost. And TR for me, in the most difficult times, gave me gave me a bit of purpose, gave me something to work towards, and it meant that I could just go away for a few weeks with TR and do something good that made me feel better, but at the same time helping out people in need. Where, where have you deployed to with them? Um, first place I went to was Haiti. And oh, Haiti yeah. was... Um, um, do I mean Haiti? Fucking officers. My, brain, my brain's officers. gone, yeah. Show me it on a map. No, yeah. um, <laughs> was it Haiti? Where the hell's Haiti? I'm like, I'm saying Haiti, and I'm like, that sounds wrong. Is it not an island off... Uh... By uh, Jamaica and all that, Haiti. I'm sure, it was Haiti. Oh man. Anyway, my brain's gone completely. Bald. And but anyway, so I was I was actually I was actually down in Lyddon Hive at the time. I was on a foreign we- weapons course. So as part of for for sort of building up to bear arms, I was learning about all sorts of foreign guns. And um, I got this phone call saying we're going to going to Haiti. Um, do you w- w- want to come? And I was like, absolutely, I want to come. And I remember driving down the road. Like I said, I said to the instructor, who is an SASC player, so I'm really, really sorry. I'm off to off to help with the disaster, <laughs> so I just have to go. And I was there on a, a a bit of a freebie anyway. And so I sort of drove down to their their headquarters at the time, and their sort of main base is down in Chilmark, which is in Wiltshire. And I remember driving there and. I remember crying. It was really odd. I remember crying because I suddenly felt part of something. Somebody wanted me. Somebody mm-hmm. somewhere wanted me. And it was something, it was remarkable. And I got there and I thought, I'm going to be part of a team. And we're going to go do something good. I got there and they're like, right, so we've got two of you. Your job is now to find eight more. Oh, like, God. Okay. So here's here's a list of people. You need to go through the list, find people who've got the right skills and the right thing, and just started making phone calls. And that was on the Tuesday. And on the Friday morning, we flew out there. Was, uh, no, I think it was nine of us, an awesome bunch of guys. So if any of you are listening, um, hi. And um, and we spent two weeks, uh, two weeks um, helping. And it'd been hit by hit by a a hurricane totally sort of wiped out parts I remember, of it. I remember but, uh, but it'd yeah. been hit by hit by an earthquake massive earthquake about five or six years previously so it was still reeling from that when we got there most of the damage that we saw was actually previous damage from mm. from that they hadn't really got back on their feet and first couple of days we were working with a charity um and we were building a building at a school helping build a sort of a timber frame thing because a lot of the locals had come to the school for shelter so the school actually had no school buildings to teach so we built this little shelter for them uh, so the kids could actually learn and but it didn't feel it didn't feel like they really needed us and um, one of the driving forces behind tr is don't ever put yourself into a position where you are just trying to find something to do mm. if you're not actually adding something if it's not better just giving the money to the people then you you, you know um you shouldn't be there so we were the first few days we were we we were all feeling quite low and we didn't really know why 
and then we found this this small town on the edge of the edge of the coast that had been properly battered and when we arrived there were still trees down everywhere um and their school had been wiped out totally wiped out and so we spent the next two weeks building the school and it was and it was brilliant because everybody just got got together everybody just worked as a team and everybody just cracked on and it was only when we left um halfway through they had another monsoon it washed away the road that we were using so we came in by boat so the last few days we were going in and out by boat and i remember i remember leaving um and a couple of kids that we'd got sort of friendly with and uh and they'd they'd always say see see you tomorrow see you tomorrow and then the the last day it was like we'd built the school we'd got this thing done and we were handing over to a new team on their way out and we're like see you tomorrow and we're like no we're not coming back this is our last day and there were eight of us nine of us in this boat leaving off the shore and everybody looking at the school and these kids and the boat was totally quiet apart from you know the occasional sniffle and sob as like these eight soldiers were just their hearts were breaking i can imagine and yeah it's remarkable so that so that sort of uh and but it it sort of tr gives you that perspective because actually you know whatever's going wrong in your life there are other people dealing yeah. with so much worse i'm just thinking we're gonna have to look at it but yeah. but <clears throat> i'm sorry for cut you short no, but no, no, of course yeah you'll have to come back on come back on at some point yeah and how many other times did you play with tr just uh, the first time no th- i've deployed four times with Mate, TR. you yeah. have to come back on yeah. and, and i want you to tell you all the deployments because obviously oh, i've yeah. just registered as a gray shirt have you awesome. yeah, yeah yeah i've just done it obviously Paul kicking me through the door. Richard Sharp kicking me through. Nah, not really. I, my, uh, same as yeah. you. When yeah. I, I remember, I remember when they were telling me about it. Richard Sharp was telling me about yeah. it. The hairs in the back of my neck through that. I thought yeah. de- deploying, going out, yeah. purpose. Can stick my yeah. boots back on. Get, yeah. like, you know, and just get out there and be amongst the team. Yeah. But that's all military and civvies. Well, I don't mind. But out there and you're helping people out. Yeah. Um, so I'd love you to come back on, mate, and talk to uh, talk about deployments. No, Super. Absolutely love to. Because yeah, that, that'd be great. It's been an absolute pleasure, Bugs. Uh, listen, no, um, all the best with the future, with Thank the business. And uh, I'll see you on the range. Yeah, come down. <laughs> but you're see, uh, North London, aren't you? Yeah. Right, I'll you're see you when I'm working there's no, there's no range in North London. <laughs> uh, there are. They're just illegal. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you know where they are. Yeah. Cheers, Bugs. Appreciate Great. it, mate. No, nice thank off. you very much. Brilliant. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, leave me a review, please, if you're enjoying these podcasts. Uh, you can do it on iTunes, you can do it on YouTube, wherever you're listening. Most of them you can leave reviews. It really helps. You can also support the podcast by becoming a patron. So on the uh, website of the podcast, charliecharlie1.com, just go on there and click on Become a Patron. It'll take you to patreon.com where you can support us and get some good perks of being a patron. Have a look at that. charliecharlie1.com, hit become a patron uh another thank you to our sponsors today which was westway nissan uk's largest nissan dealership up to 20 percent off for service personnel westwaynissan.co.uk uh rugby for heroes so rugby heroes.org they've got their event coming up uh beer and june festival on the 10th and 11th of may basically a piss up for charities perfect and lastly, Team Rubicon, who are, as I said, are deployed in Indonesia at the minute. They need your help and support. They also need more volunteers. TeamRubiconUK.org. 
I also mentioned the podcast, HR4K. They've got a networking event coming up in April, probably. HR4K.co.uk. Um, if you want to get involved with that, you can email Ben. Email is info at HR4K.co.uk and say, Oi, Ben, I want to be involved in your networking event, either as a visitor or if you're a veteran-owned company, you can get along there. It is free. Get in touch with him. And uh, I think the last time he did it, he did an event like this last year, and it was hundreds, two to three hundred people, I think, rocked up to go and see these stands and see all the veteran-owned companies there and buy things, get services. It's cool. Where he holds it, his place in Hereford is Alley as well. It is Alley. So uh, I will see you there because I will be there. Team Rubicon will be there. Revenant Cider will be there. I'll drag bags along as well. That's it. Until the next time. Out. <laughs>